It's Monday, April 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. It was kind of a nice day yesterday. It was a beautiful day. Much better than originally forecast. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Charlie uh, Travers, our buddy downstairs on Friday, and he was talking about the race. The GW Parkway. Yeah, Yeah, I guess he was, was, you know, lamenting the fact that the forecast was calling for cold, sort of rainy skies, and it seemed like it wasn't that at all, was it? No, and in fact, there were about, I'm going to say maybe 12 to 15 people from the company who ran either the 10-mile race or the 5K race. Nice. And Saturday morning, the forecast for Sunday morning was, as Charlie said, it was low 40s and rain, and then by the, I would say by dinner time on Saturday, the forecast had cleared up, and it was it was... Lovely. It was. It was I mean, just it was, beautiful. It was a great, great day outside. Um, now you ran. I did. Did you do the five or the ten mile? I did the ten mile. Nice. How? So I mean, like I, I'm typically I have, I have the patience for about five, five k. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I'm a five k kind of guy. I, as a matter of fact, I did a five k on my treadmill yesterday, Chris. You'll be nice. Happy. You know, I would have gone outside and run, but you know, <laughs> I had to kind of make sure the kids were okay too. So. Um, I, I've always thought about like trying a ten miler. I just don't know that I have really the patience to deal with it. I get through it with music. Yeah. I have an iPod, and I'm I've just got a, a playlist set up, and that's what gets me through. Because I think left, if I were just running that distance without anything to listen to, I th- I would absolutely be bored. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's ma- it's a mailbag Monday. We're going to talk a little bit about Apple, but we're going to dip into the full mailbag today. Let's start with a question from Luis Rossello, listener number 51. Two weeks ago, two companies that I owned, Starbucks and Chimera Investment Corp., had stock splits, although in opposite directions. You've repeatedly stated that stock splits like Starbucks do not affect the value of the the stock. I'm assuming the same holds true for reverse stock splits like Chimera's. But I'm wondering what the rationale would be for a reverse stock split Perhaps other than making a stock look like it's not something close to a penny stock. Thanks. Um, just a, a little bit of um, uh, math on top of this. Starbucks. I think we talked about it on Market Foolery. The stock split two for one. Yeah. Chimera Investment Corp., which is a real estate investment tr- uh, trust, did a reverse stock split one for five. So if you own fifteen shares, now you own five shares. No, okay. now you own now three, you three, sh- yeah. three shares. Um, That's how good at math yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but to his question, I mean, I'm sure that is at least part of the rationale that there are companies saying, "Look, we don't want to be a three dollar stock. We want to be a fifteen dollar stock because optics matter a little bit." Absolutely. I mean, you know, you see, you see when companies perform a stock split. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's the same. Size pizza, just a different number of slices, right? Um, and and it can it can make a you know an expensive looking stock. And I think that's we have to really make sure people understand that you look at something like Chipotle at six hundred fifty dollars. Uh, don't don't make the leap that it's expensive because it's six hundred fifty dollars. I mean, really focus on the value of what you're getting. Price line, it's just a function. Over, price yeah, line over a thousand. Exactly, it's just a function of how many shares the company has outstanding. Uh, but a lot of times, companies like Starbucks will will perform share splits because they can open up the investor base. Uh, you know, add a little bit more liquidity. Uh, and, and you know, give give more people the opportunity to own those shares. Now, reverse stock splits are interesting in that really 
the 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 only reason the only real reason why it would be done would be because the the business is actually under threat of being delisted um and so if you have stocks that are trading around that dollar mark and and you know going below $1 per share uh the Nasdaq I think for example has a, a requirement that your shares can't they have to be trading above one dollar uh, because you're right. I mean, it does it does sort of give you that appearance of a penny stock, and so reverse stock splits essentially, you know, it it will make that share price it it will inflate that share price because you're just consolidating more shares. But it's done more more out of it's it's kind of a necessity rather than like you know regular regular stock splits aren't really a necessity, but reverse splits can tend to be a necessity. Um, and then also there is a perception out there. Uh, when when you have a two or three dollar stock, people kind of look at it and think, hmm, you know, I wonder if that's really worthwhile, uh, you know, even even considering. And I think Citigroup um, back in 2011, I believe it was, performed a reverse share split because of the financial crisis, because they had so much equity issued during that time. Their shares outstanding just just went haywire. Uh, and then I th- I think it was I think it was a ten for one uh, reverse split. So essentially, if you had ten shares, then you just had one. Um, but but you know I mean it, for the most part businesses do it out of necessity and in, in that they don't want to be delisted from one of the exchanges. Well, and it's not just individual investors; it's financial advisors. Uh, you know there are there are plenty of people out there who are money managers, whatever, who will just set a a floor to the stock price, and they will just say, "Look, if it's below this price, it's it, there are enough fish in the sea." There are ten thousand public companies out there. I, you know, I, I need to limit my universe somehow. And one way to do that is to just say, look, if it's trading under five bucks a share, which when 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 you hear the phrase penny stock, it's a little bit like small cap. Whereas you talk to three different small cap investors, they'll give you three different ranges in terms of what defines a small cap. So it's like, well, it's anything under a billion. Well, no, it's actually anything from five hundred million to two billion. Same thing with penny stock, but I, I think the the top end of the range for anything being dubbed a penny stock is five dollars a share. Yeah, and I mean, there's no question that there are going to be times where we'll see wonderful businesses with shares trading below five dollars. I mean, there's no question that happens. Uh, for the most part, it is you know, anytime you see a share price that that is sustained. You know, for a long time below that five dollar level. I mean, it, it, you definitely want to at least question why. Look at look at the history of the company. Look at the history of the business. Ask questions as to why, because I think a, a big trap um, a lot of investors fall in to is that they they think, oh wow, this this stock is only trading at two dollars per share. All it needs to do is you know go up. Two bucks, and, and I mean, I've doubled my money. Well, think about that for a second. I mean, you're you're saying that's a hundred percent gainer, right? And then you figure out why in the world is the market going to bid the stock up a hundred percent? What? Why would it do that? All I need <laughs> is for Chipotle to go to thirteen hundred dollars a share in just the next couple of months. Precisely, it's no brainer. I mean, it's going to happen, right? So just yeah, don't don't fall into that trap of of thinking that a a, a low stock price means a cheap stock and and then you know a really good deal. I mean, focus on the value, and we focus on the value by understanding you know what what are these companies' sales? What kind of margins are they bringing in? Uh, you know, is this a company that's growing? Is it a company that's not growing? So there's a big difference between price and value. The f- question from Christopher Lay in Beijing. He writes: Three years ago, I introduced our daughter to the concept of investing. We kept it simple, and decided to invest two hundred fifty dollars into Skechers, a brand she loves and is passionate about. That's the. Are they? Are they? Any- it's shoes, right? Is it shoes Skechers. or is it? It's sneakers. 
Uh, yeah, I think it is. Or I think it is shoes athletic or, style shoes. Uh, athletic yeah, I don't think shoes. it's like dress shoes or anything. Um, she's now eight years old, and her first stock pick is nearly a six bagger. Nice. Man. Um, not only is she crushing the market, but she is crushing the family portfolio too. We're currently <laughs> discussing taking so, taking out some of her gains and diversifying her portfolio. Last year, she added a position in Disney, but I'm wondering if any of the parents at Fool HQ have any thoughts about other good brands for kids to get behind in today's market. And if anyone has thoughts on where Skechers is headed, we would welcome the insight. Skechers just had a blowout quarter. Yeah, they did. I saw where the shares shares had a nice day after that uh, earnings, last earnings week. result. Yeah, I, I so I don't I don't follow Skechers. Um, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about the business, but I do know that people need shoes. And you know they just not like you buy a pair of shoes and and wear them for the next two years either. And so what Skechers does I think is taps into a, a very relevant and uh, big market with an affordable offering. So I I wouldn't I mean I, I certainly unless you see some reason uh, you know to not believe in the business anymore. And, and as long as your daughter continues to be passionate about it, I, I think you got to hang on to that position because. It's at a six bagger. I mean, you know, we like to say winners keep on winning, and and it, you know, with a six bagger, you got you're kind of playing with house money there, <laughs> and so you can sort of enjoy the lessons either way that you may take from from that business. But um, in regard to other brands, man, that's that's first and foremost. I mean, congratulations, Chris, on on doing this. I mean, this is just a, that's a great thing you're doing uh, with your daughter. I, I do the same with my two daughters, uh, and they currently have, I think, about seven or eight. Companies in their portfolio right now, and they have their fair share of doubles already. They've been invested for about two and a half years or so. Uh, the first stock they bought, I believe, was Starbucks. They do own Disney, they own Nike, they own Under Armour, they own Whole Foods, um, and so really, so what we do quarter in and quarter out, and in some quarters we'll take a break. I mean, it just kind of depends. But we will basically kind of. I'll bring four names to the table, four businesses that seem kind of relevant to things that we do in our lives, and four four names that they would be familiar with. And when we, you know, sort of talk about those four, and then just kind of whittle down uh, to to a final winner. And we talk about it on the way to school, on the way back home. We'll talk about it sometimes at dinner or whatever. But uh, I, I think just just focus on. The names, the brands that not only she's familiar with, but that you're familiar with as a family. Um, I mean, you could you could walk through your house, I'm sure, and find you know ten to twenty things that uh, pertain to some wonderful investment ideas out there right now. Uh, and and then you know the idea is to just kind of always keep the discussion going. I mean, I don't pepper my daughters with investment talk all the time because I, I know that's not what they. <laughs> want to always talk about? I mean, I could totally geek out about it all the time, but uh, they do like the fact that their money is working for them, and they get that. You know, they understand they put their money in the market, and they're not doing a thing other than taking a little bit of risk, and you know, and participating. And I, and I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have to teach adults is is just participate, even if it's just you know an S and P index fund. You gotta be you gotta be in the game. Kids don't have that. They don't have that hurdle to clear, right? They they're Pretty much open to anything at that age, and, and when you learn it at that age, it tends to stick. Just like anything else, school, athletics, investing—it's all the same. And so, you know, regardless, just keep it up. Just keep doing the same things that you're doing, and and introduce some of those those names that you guys uh, witness on a daily basis in, in your household. Well, and you mentioned the the lessons that can be learned, and. Uh, recently interviewed Ron Lieber from the New York Times uh, for the radio show, and he has a book out about teaching kids about money, money and, and in particular, 
um, how, how to raise kids who aren't spoiled um, yeah. and, and are just smart about money. And one of the things I asked him was, you know, do you, what do you do when your kid has some money? And, and Lieber's, one of his big points is have three jars. He doesn't like piggy banks. Like, have jars, have clear jars where they can actually see the money. And you have one designated for saving, one designated for uh, donating, one designated for spending. And I said, uh, one of the things I asked him was, do you, do you ever stop your kid from spending money? Do you ever look at, at, at something they want to spend money on and, and say, boy, that's, I know how that's going to end and that's not going to end well. That's going to be a waste of money. And he said, no, because that's, that's a lesson they need to learn. And yeah. that's the best way to learn it. And I think from an investing standpoint, that's something to keep in mind, that you can invest in something that your kid knows and is is passionate about um, one stock I was looking at, and and this this was uh, we've gotten so many emails from people about about the tattoos. It's so great, <laughs> it's so great. Um, but but um, but one of them was about Manchester United, the the, uh, yes. the soccer team, which is a publicly traded company, and you can be an incredibly passionate fan of Manchester United, and I could see as a fan saying, I want to own a piece of that company. And guess what? You're losing to the market. Yeah, that is not a market-beating stock. And so that's you know that's that's not the worst lesson. It's not going to zero. You're not losing a ton of money. It's trailing the market. But but be I guess what I'm trying to say is be open to the idea that yes, obviously, uh, it's always more fun when your stocks go up, uh, particularly if you're trying to get your kids engaged in investing. But there are takeaways that can make your child a better investor for the long term that can come with, oh, I, I bought shares of this soccer team that I love and I'm passionate about, but you know what? I'm actually not I'm actually losing a little bit of money on this. It's like, okay, that's all right. There's still lessons to be gleaned from that. I think that's a great point. I mean, our first instinct as parents is to protect our kids and, and you don't want to see them make bad decisions or, or do stupid things. You know, but but yeah, in investing, I mean, I you just you always learn from those losers, and you can you could vet any idea, you know, till the cows come home and think you have it all laid out perfectly, and you understand the business, and there's just no way this thing loses, and it loses. You know, I mean, just we pick losers in investing. That's just the nature of the beast. But yeah, I mean, making sure that you understand why it's a loser, what were the mistakes, what what's the problem. There's so many lessons to learn from those losers. I mean, you know, winners too, but but honestly, I think the losers teach you more and and make you uh, just make you a better investor, make you smarter with your money, no doubt. Yeah, there there tend to be fewer autopsies on winning stocks. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, well, yeah, I got it right. Yeah, I knew I got it right. You know, it's more like I'm. You know, let's throw a parade because the stock doubled. It's like <laughs> you know, it's it's the losers that you need to you know examine as well. well. I mean, Whole Foods, I think, is a good example of a stock that my girls own. It's the one stock in their portfolio that's actually losing to the market. You know, we we bought shares. I think it was somewhere around like fifty five dollars or so. It's not. It's not doing. Horribly. I mean, this isn't a bad business by any means, but when I show them how their portfolio is doing and they see Whole Foods and they're like, the hell is that red on the screen? What's going on? But we go to Whole Foods a lot. I get a lot of yeah. groceries from there and then we make dinner you know, at night and a lot of our stuff comes from Whole Foods. And every time I go, I come home and I say, hey, thanks, girls. Appreciate, appreciate your capital and <laughs> keeping this place in business. And I just, you know, I just made you a little bit of money there. And it gives them a little bit of a, of a sort of a longer time time uh, horizon. You know, I say, look, it, it is down right now. It hasn't been the best year for the company. But think about this: they're going to open 600 more stores over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. So 
the only way to really be a part of that is to get in now and then just kind of ignore it. Let's see what it looks like in a year. Let's see what it looks like in two years. And if it wins, great. If it loses, well, we've learned something. But either way, I think that it, uh, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful notion to to actually welcome a couple of those uh, laggards into your portfolio. After the market closes for business today, Apple is going to report earnings. Uh, what is one thing you're going to be looking for? I, I know it's not the watches because. <laughs> Anyone who's thinking that Apple is going to break out numbers around how many watches they've sold, there's almost no chance they're going to do that. No, and I mean, this quarter isn't going to reflect watch sales uh, because watch sales just started. Uh, and you're right. I mean, to put it into perspective, I mean, they sold, what, 74.5 million iPhones last quarter? Yeah. I think pre-orders for the Apple Watch were around 1.7 million. This is this is going to be an interesting sort of product, I think. Uh Maybe they'll they'll learn from it, and, and some new iterations of of you know better products will come along. But uh, yeah, the watch watch will be uh, interesting to see if they have any sort of you know initial uh, feelings about it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, like I've always felt like Apple Pay is going to be a really important driver for this business over the coming decade. I mean, I I, I like Apple products. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad, um, and, and I think you know the the. The way Apple Pay works is just so seamless. I mean, right now it only you know works really with a handful of retailers, but they continue to roll that out. And I was reading some research here from Berg Insight. Berg Insight forecasts that the global installed base of NFC-ready point-of-sale terminals and NFC is that near-field communications that employs uh, that, that Apple uses and, and other uh, you know mobile payment services use. It's not the National Football Conference. Correct. It's not the, <laughs> uh, but that that. Those NFC-ready point-of-sale terminals are going to grow pretty quickly here over the coming years. So we were looking at something um, there were about 21 and a half million units in 2014. That's projected to grow up to about 75 million globally by 2019. So what that means is there are going to be a lot of of uh, retailers, a lot of businesses out there that start accepting Apple Pay, and and I think that you know that's that's just a very uh, Neat technology that they've employed. I think they've done a wonderful job with it. It's it's seamless. I you know I use it whenever I can, and I think that it's something that definitely will will keep people sort of in that Apple universe, as if you needed another argument. I mean, I think once you kind of get stuck in there and you're used to the software, you kind of want to stick around. But I, I just believe that with the move towards mobile, you see all of these companies talking about mobile all the time. Starbucks, I think this last earnings call, the word mobile was mentioned 57 times for a coffee company. Uh, so, so for Apple, I mean, that's Domino's too. They're, Domino, yeah, they're, I mean, their recent quarter. Any, any of them, and, and it's just so to me. This is this is just one of those things for Apple. There are so many relationships that they can forge with this. Um, I, I, I just am very optimistic about the sort of long, the longer term implications of this and how uh, how it can help drive really the bottom line results for for Apple for years to come. We'll see what it looks like in I'd, a few I'd be, hours. Yeah, I'd be interested <laughs> to see if they have any more info on the TV front. I'm kind of disappointed that they're not really pursuing this TV front more. I feel like that's such an opportunity that they're just not really shedding much light on. Uh, you know the HBO Now deal with with Apple TV. I mean, that's going to be exclusive to Apple TV for the first three months. So I, I'd love to to get any more sort of insight into their feelings on the TV industry and and sort of that that shift to the internet TV revolution. But uh, yeah, I, I I reckon we'll probably hear more about Apple Pay. They said 2015 is going to be the year of Apple Pay. So we'll see how that's turning out for them. 
Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.